Welcome to Black and Green Podcast, episode number 13. It is September 11th, 2018, and I am your host, Kevin Tucker. Uh, real quick podcast stuff, uh, if it's your first time listening or if you're just looking for past episodes, if you go on blackandgreenreview.org, uh, there's a tab for the podcast, uh, and all the episodes are on there. They are kept on archive, um, and some are revolving on the uh, podcast where normal podcast shit, whatever. Um, but I'm probably going to get a new website here shortly to be able to have all that stuff up there without having to continually swap out what's on SoundCloud or whatever. Um, so tonight's episode is unexpected. Uh, a very good friend of mine knew that I would be remiss if I did not get pushed into paying more attention to this uh, interview that's been going around between Joe Rogan and Elon Musk. Uh, and Elon Musk has been a, a standard fare punching bag for the podcast. Uh, he's mentioned a number of times and uh, rightfully mocked, you could say. Um, it's fucking nuts. So the thing that's going around right now is people are talking about how he smoked weed and drank or whatever and just, you know, all this mundane, absolutely pointless shit. It doesn't matter, but it does impact the stock price greatly. And it does go to show how with the tech startups and tech giants and brain trust kind of shit that people want to pretend is a thing that how much of it actually just comes down to these individuals. And in this case, debatable whether or not this individual is a human. Uh, when you look at, him when you listen to his talk and his demeanor and the way he interacts it's kind of hard not to think that there is anything human about this fucker uh but i'm going to segue that uh kind of use that as an excuse to deal with some stuff that i had wanted to deal with on the podcast anyways which is also some kind of um explanatory not so much introductory kind of stuff and uh these ideas centered around anarcho-primitivism. I'm an anarcho-primitivist. I've been an anarcho-primitivist for a long time. Uh, I've increasingly been pushing more towards just talking about primal anarchy just to kind of get out of the anarchism and the primitivism side of that, uh, which is something I get into in the upcoming Black and Green Review number six that will be coming out. Uh, But either way, you know, it's all kind of just words that are used as shorthand for, hey, there's more to this. Uh, so if you're listening to the podcast, you're curious about where I'm coming from. I have books, uh, I have journals, and there's anarcho-primitivism. So one of the big questions that kind of always comes up is, uh, what is technology or the critique of technology and what is a tool? And I had been meaning to deal with this on the podcast in general uh, for a while. And uh, this seems like a pretty good time. Uh, because the, I, I think there is a lot here and it's more than just a billionaire talking to, um, you know, uh, whatever jock rock jock podcast host, whatever you want to call it. I don't, I don't know. Uh, this is more than a conversation between two people, two dudes talking and then everybody just talking about smoking weed or whatever. Uh, and Elon Musk is one of the top 50 richest people in the world uh, $20 billion, I think is worth right now. Uh, but it 
highlights and emphasizes just how insane our world really is with civilization and where we're at and also a number of problems and underlying presumptions about where we are because of technology. Um, so there's a lot to get into, uh, but I don't always do kind of a theme to an episode. It usually can be a bit tangential. Uh, I'm going to talk a little bit about the interview, but the main thing here is just like to understand this and the significance of, uh, assholes like Elon Musk and and the crazy kind of shit that they're doing, you have to understand technology as a whole and how it functions within a society. Um, So to start out, before we get going here, uh, I'm going to read a little bit. And I usually read newer stuff of mine. Uh, This is from an essay I wrote, the one in Green Anarchy, and it's also in my book, For Wildness and Anarchy. Which came out in 2010. Uh, this essay was from uh, 2006. Um, and this is out of print. I'm pretty positive that essay is available online. Uh, but a second edition of this book hopefully will be out later this year, early next year. Uh, if you're interested, let me know. And um, yeah, so this is from the essay Everywhere and Nowhere, The Pathology of the Machine. And it will become pretty quickly obvious as to why I'm starting with this. On April 12th, 1893, in the arid lands of southern Africa, the technological system laid one of its many monuments to its own efficiency. A camp of 90 Whitfu men, women, and children were sleeping in the sun rose. As they slept, the colonizing German army crept up to deliver their final compromise in the struggle over the land that the Witubi and their ancestors had been lived on for thousands of years, a struggle immersing from two cultures who would have never known about each other only decades before. In a matter of 30 minutes, 16,000 rounds were fired from 200 rifles, laying the entire camp to rest. The Gatling gun, in its 32nd year of existence, made colonization a much faster and more efficient ordeal. The expanding German Empire and the globalizing European civilization which spawned it needed more resources and more must always come from somewhere. On that day, and somewhere was in South Africa, which today remains one of the largest suppliers of the technological necessities as such technological necessities as gold and diamonds. Those 90 Whipboy killed had just happened to stand in that way. That same year, the motion picture had made its premiere, Take and Give. If anyone is familiar with the consequences of technology, the ones we are psychologically incapable of comprehending, there are those who have historically lived without it. That is, earth-based cultures, the gather-hunters, the small-scale horticulturalists, and the minor pastoralists. These are societies who are no stranger to tool use, like most animals, but tools are different. Made from stone, wood, bone, and hide, they can be, in our by necessity, mechanically simple. They require, simple, they require skill and knowledge over resources. A napped flint blade leaves behind smaller pieces of flint, not industrial waste. This kind of tool use is reflective of their cultures, which can face any amount of ecological and social turbulence, but are lasting. That is, are lasting so long as they aren't destroyed by another culture. One which, as a Wanharani man put it, killed by destroying the sailors of all life. From flourishing through thousands of years, these are the cultures faced most recently with the threat of extermination at the hands of a techno-industrial civilization reaching back less than two centuries. 
ethnocide, or culture death for the Rani is just one cost for the sake of enough oil to meet U.S. energy needs for 13 days. 13 days, one country for one culture. So that's just a little bit of that. So the reason I started with that is because it's telling to me there's a, there's a certain kind of entitlement that comes to a motherfucker like Elon Musk uh, and just a, a general social permissiveness that you'll get with rich people that was the same as what you would get with colonizers except with the colonization of Africa or the colonization of the Americas we tend to distill within history these individuals and we can look at uh, any number of colonizers and anything like that and kind of highlight it and say it's like okay well it's about uh, this explorer, this colonizer, this military agent, whatever, that's what everything's named after but it was always about nationalism and expansionism and history chose these icons later on. The historical moment is, is a creation. It's not like anything just aside from, you know, 90 people being murdered. Rarely does history show itself in terms of events. It's a process. And so Elon Musk comes from South Africa. Um, the, the town that he was in was still predominantly white, uh, rich whites. And, you know, he's born in early 70s, so he grew up in apartheid. Uh, and it's kind of a telling uh, basis for what it is and who he would become. And who he's become is a billionaire entitled prick uh, and a CEO of the worst order. And you can see how these things are, the fact that he smoked weed or the fact that he'll, he'll say something crazy. Um, like there's, you know, these Thai children that were stuck in a mine and rescued and he's just made an ass of himself going after them all the time and saying that the guy they were there with was a pedophile without any reason. But you know, when you can do anything you want, uh, such as any colonizer, such as a, a mega corporate, um, asshole like, uh, Musk, that's what happens, and this is kind of the the process of it. So, to start out with, there's this in, huge disparity between the way we uphold these people and the way that we in this culture, in this particular moment of civilization, just take these people at their word um, and allow them to do anything it happens to be these people who are also pushing these technologies that are just insane in intent and insane in capabilities and insane in costs for what it costs to maintain and produce them. So the fact that any whim this motherfucker has can be entertained and deployed is itself a complete threat to everything that exists on this planet and also is taking place often at the places where recently subsistent culture or people who are still practicing subsistence cultures are still, still trying to, such as South Africa, are still trying to survive and being hit with the constant pressures of colonization at those very moments. So let me just start out with a couple of different things here. First off, uh, 
tool versus technology. And a lot of people tend to think it's the same thing because we use the words interchangeably and we use the word tool for mass produced items. I'm talking into a microphone. People call it a tool. I talk into, this is going to a computer considered a tool. Uh, you know, we can call something a, a hammer, a tool, whether or not it's a hammer stone and a stick and then lashed with uh, sinew or whether it's a mass produced thing. But that obscures the point. And then I understand uh, not everybody has the terminology or uses it the way that anarchoprimists do or the way that anthropologists do or the way that historians do or the way that sociologists do, which is why I'm prefacing this. Uh, and just to start out with, I think that there's really expansive definitions that have come up, but sometimes the simplest one is the easiest. Uh, so Carl Safina and Beyond Words, he defines a tool very complexly or with a lot of complexity as a thing that isn't a part of your body that you use to accomplish a goal. And the point is, is that when he's in that book, which is an excellent book, he's talking about tool use as something that's not exclusive to humans. And a number of animals use them. A number of animals will carry them from one place to another and have relationships with tools, not unlike what you know most wild humans are, what most humans have outside of technology. Um, in defining technology, it's really the point at which, you know, you're not just making something. It's it's requiring an entire system to it. So for uh, Lewis Mumford, who's a huge influence of mine, uh, the mega machine was first comprised of human parts. It was the organization of human labor and its process, or I'm sorry, and its products. Uh, John Zerzan is has talked about how technology and division of labor are are inseparable. You can't have technology without having this massive infrastructure and this massive resource pool to turn uh, iron ore into a sword or into any other technology. So simply put, um, technology isn't just any kind of tool and it's not just any technique or anything like that, but a strict form of production, a strict form of extraction that is used to create something that it requires a whole system. And it's easier to see that in individual aspects than it is as a whole. So uh, I, I tend to think about uh, the, the ingenuity of stone tools. And most stone tools we've had going back in the human or in the homo line and predating the homo line, even in some cases, uh, kind of rudimentary scrapers or, or flakes, things like that, potentially two million years um it's a long fucking time and a long time to have been using the same kind of tools and techniques uh, four-legged human in an essay in uh black and green review i think it's number two uh but the the premise of the essay was kind of talking about there was these these two scrapers found in different parts of the world uh and they could have been a million years old uh, the one was found in an area where, you know, the, in Africa, where occupation goes back considerably, um, hundreds of thousand years at the, at the minimum. Um, and seeing the same kind of tool being made in different parts of the world and anywhere from hundreds to thousands of years apart. And, and for like you and myself, we've both made and used similar tools, people who, who are involved in primitive skills and primal skills and ancestral knowledge kind of stuff are all very familiar with it. There's there's a number of ways to break a rock, but there's not that many. Um, 
there's a lot of skill and a lot of technique involved in it, but to make a stone tool, you can see really beautiful and ornate things, but rarely is that going to be the case that every single thing you would have would be museum quality whenever you're a hunter gatherer or something like that. Um, but the ingenuity of it has to do with the ingenuity of, of this hunting and gathering culture that we've all been a part of that is, is the core of who we are as humans, as social animals, uh, and the ability to make tools and the ability to look at a piece of stone or to look at a bone or to look at a, you know, a blade of grass and to be able to weave it into something, you know, that is something we take for granted so much that I, I don't know how to put it into words. And I, I think that I've talked about this a number of times on the podcast and I talk about it often in my own writing. Um, the hard part about understanding civilization is the closer you get to understanding what we had, what we are capable of, the more you see just the absolute depravity of modernity, of modern life, of the, the life that we have been given and the life we've been stuck with. Uh, and it makes sense why we become resigned and willing to listen to, you know, a fuckwit like Musk when he says or does insane things and think like, oh, well, he made this thing or he was behind it. He got rich. So he's a genius. He's fucking not. He's an asshole. Uh, and if he is a kind of genius, it's not a, it's not an ecologically worthwhile sense of it. Um, so when it comes to stone tools, uh, you know, we, we don't see the beauty of it because we've done what civilization has asked us to. We, we've done what the domestication process is embedded within us. And that is to identify with the products of our environment, the products of our society. Uh, and we take so much pride in it. And if you look at, uh, Kevin Kelly, who's a fucking asshole, he was one of the founders of wired magazine, um, and huge technophile, uh, there's a quote, something like you can see God in the, in the inside of an iPhone. Um, and that's, that's the world we live in. Whereas like the complexity and all this stuff, this, this thing that we've granted ourselves is like, wow, you can have all this, this information inside this phone and you can do anything with it. You can contact anybody with it. And it's like, this is us. When you talk about civilization, when you talk about the progress of supposed progress of humanity and the supposed escalation of humanity, this is it. Like, all right, take a look at this thing. Who else could have done it? And the answer is none of us. We don't fucking do it. None of us. There's not a, probably a person on earth who could take apart an iPhone and put the entire thing back together, could reassemble all the materials that it takes to get it. I mean, this, the, a phone, a smartphone is globalization. It's not a metaphor for globalization. It's not an analogy for globalization. This is what it is. Global industrialism, slavery, warfare, fucking bloodshed and decimation of the earth and the, the destruction of water, the destruction of soil, the destruction of air. And the it needs the structure. It needs the grid to exist. We, we don't talk about it. We don't talk about uh, the impacts of EMF radiation. We don't talk about the impacts of toxicity associated with all these individual technologies. And we want to pretend like cancer rates increasing is just a thing that happens or we just got better at detecting it. It's like, no, we radiate the fuck out of ourselves 
And when they're doing research to say, it's like, well, what are the thresholds that you can take of a cell phone or of a computer or a Wi-Fi router or anything like it? Uh, it's single-use causation. So it's like, well, if you use it in this intended way, uh, then it's minimal and you might get cancer over 20 years or something like that over prolonged contact. But they don't take into account the fact that most people carry a cell phone in their pocket all day, every day. They sleep with it by their head at night. You see women walking around with a, a metallic underwire bra sticking it in there to hold it. That's transmitting it. <laughs> That's transmitting all this stuff. In there. That, you know, when you look at... Uh, there's a lot to be said about it. There's a lot to be said about the, the toxicity of it and everything like that. I'm not going to get fully into it. It just mm, drives me insane. But we we don't take credit for those effects. We don't have to take the blame. We don't have to take the credit for what it takes to get this thing to us. We just want to feel that pride of saying, yeah, but we've got this. Like, this is this thing. If you want to see the impacts of progress. If you want to see what we've done and how far we've come, we used to break stones. We used to make fire with sticks. We used to be able to do all those things. But what is better is that we have this now and so we don't have to do any of that stuff. Never mind that, you know, 10 years ago you told people they'd be paying $600 for a phone, uh, not even including the bill. You know, you were in laughed at. Um, and, Again, not even touching the fact that the the quality of life that we have drops considerably with all this shit. What matters is we identify with these machines that none of us have the ability to put together from start to finish. And that is the tragedy of technology is that we identify with it so much that we just don't even think about what it is and what it takes to get it to us and what the consequences are and how much more fulfilling it is to be able to sustain yourself and to be able to actually go out and hunt and gather and forage and use simple tools and be able to just create something and trade it or to, to create something and use it and just be done with it and to live in a way that creates genuinely no waste um, and nothing toxic, nothing permanently changed uh, and, you know, to not be in a situation where right now I'm two hours away from a uh, Manhattan Project uh, nuclear waste landfill that has a massive underground fire underneath it. So for all the existential kind of debates we have about the merits of technology, that should be our counterpoint. That should be the reality of it, and it's not. Because we can compartmentalize and we can feel this pride for the things that we've created without dealing with the consequences. And so there's this permissiveness that comes with technology. There's this permissiveness that comes with all the things that are being created and done around us and that we frankly do have very little control over. And it is an absolute contrast with the things that we cannot do. So to kind of go over some of the stuff that Elon Musk does do, he has a company called Bowling, I'm sorry, Boring Company, and he he he's a fucking hipster, really. Uh, or he tries to be. He appeals to him. It seems to work. For some reason, people are still shocked that you know all the liberals thought he was on their side and find out that he's a uh, GOP mega donor. Um, I don't you know who knows where this stuff comes from, where people get these presumptions about him. Uh, but either way, you know they made I think it was twenty thousand flamethrowers, uh, mass produced and sold online. 
Um, and his, in this interview, he talks about how he told people that they shouldn't buy it. Um, but they did it anyways. Uh, people be damned. Uh, and you know, we're going to, we're going to be hitting a world here very soon where f- flamethrowers are just a toy that you can buy on the internet and have around. Um, and it's worth noting as well that a lot of his views are summed up in the shirt he was wearing during this interview, which just said, Occupy Mars. Um, I have said it before. I will say it again. These people want to be able to uh, live on Mars or, you know, these tech giants want to live forever. Uh, go ahead sooner than later. Uh, you know, SpaceX has been uh, oh, pretty dismal failure, fortunately. Uh, the rockets blow up and they don't go very well, but I, I think Elon should really show his faith in the machine and hop right on one. But this boring company right now has got uh, petitions in three cities to be able to just try and dig these tunnels to see if they can make a mass transit system through them. They don't know if it's going to work. They don't really seem to care, and that's how all these companies operate. It's like we're just taking risks. Again, just rewarding people for nothing and then they become billionaires. We've wound up in the situation where as long as you have money and as long as you make a lot of money and have the potential to make a lot of money and further the machine that anything you do is permitted and encouraged and the the same world where that exists is one where people are fucking starving and people are stuck in slavery and you have situations where you have a whole country like Syria where it's been at war because of uh, kicked off because of fucking climate change because of this massive shift that we have caused because of technology and because of the the insanity of what technology is capable of doing and putting into the atmosphere and is drastically and permanently shaping this entire world those people don't get to live those people don't get to live in an area that isn't being bombed daily for now over a decade and some you know it's ironic to be talking about this september 11th kind of going back to this kind of world shifting endeavor but this is the this is the reality of civilization is that we live in a world that is both beautiful and awful where you can be exceptionally rich and you can get away with fucking anything and you can ignore the consequences of everything it is that you do so long as you don't question where it comes from and what your impacts are of the world at large. And somebody like Elon Musk is the face of that. He needs to be the face of that. His smug little fucking face and his robotic way of talking is just completely devoid of empathy and emotion and care and anything. He's just a fucking asshole. And all people want to do is talk about it like, oh, I smoke weed or drink. And then it's like, well, what does that instability cost for the, the bottom line for the shareholders? The reality is it's like this motherfucker flooded the world, flooded the streets with 20,000 flamethrowers just because it was some stupid idea he had for a company he thought it would be funny to make a logo for a fucking hat. And he's going to do the same fucking thing when he starts drilling under these cities and doing this. But that is a microcosm of what he is capable of doing. If this SpaceX were to take off with Tesla as it takes off, the consequences of having these massive, insanely large automated factories and having solar panels that are filled with rare earth minerals and one of the biggest sources of pollution for a lot of children is lead. And that lead comes from lead smelters where they're 
boiling down old batteries to try and re- to repurpose that to build solar panels and to build new batteries and all this shit we don't want to think about and all these things these fucking liberals want to sit here and think are like oh you know we're going to be green we're going to have this and that we're going to be musk is going to be able to save civilization and then because of that and because he's gotten rich because of fucking paypal this motherfucker can do whatever the fuck he wants and that is the continuation of every aspect of the colonial legacy that he is directly a product of uh, to come from apartheid, to come from this system, to still have roots there, and then to come back and just be the new guard, to be the new technological imperialist. That's who he is, and everything he does is okay. He's launching rockets into space as a private company, as a private individual, and that's okay. You can't fucking hunt and gather legally without permits. Or in, in some areas you can you know you can get busted just for fucking gathering. Never mind that. Never mind, you know the ability to be self sufficient and sustain yourself, and then you know you could do so without actually having technology. You could hunt and gather. You could create your own stone tools. You can break off and be your own society. So long as you're not in civilization's way or not within eyesight of its fucking narratives, the fragility of civilization is in all of these moments and we just are completely unable to see it because we identify more with a fucking cell phone than we do with the person who's starving or the child slave or the child working in factories or the child being driven by a warlord in Africa to dig for rare earth minerals for that cell phone or Elon fucking Musk who's sitting here as a pompous ass to just talk about the things he thinks he can do. And a few more of those things. Um, so he, he talks about artificial intelligence. Um, in this interview, he's talked about it elsewhere. And he said this whole thing like, oh, you know, I was going around sounding the alarm for everything. I wouldn't talk to politicians. I wouldn't talk to Congress. I went to talk to Senate um, about the dangers of artificial intelligence. Uh, and he stopped being concerned about it because give up. You know, nobody's going to do anything, so if you can't beat them, join them, which is something they talked about in this interview using those kind of exact words. Uh, and so some direct quotes here is talking about AI. It's not necessarily bad. It's just out of human control. You can say that. And then also, in almost the same breath, say it will definitely be used as a weapon. Uh, and, you know, it, it, people talk about this stuff with, with corporate heads and with these... Um, Silicon Valley types and things like that as though, oh, hey, they're giving this warning and this is this is how we are, it's, you know. Hey, Bill Joy gave a warning about artificial intelligence. Uh, uh, Janier, I forget, uh, the guy, 10 arguments for deleting your social media. I've talked about him before. You know, he's another guy. He's a, he's a virtual reality guy. Uh, and people are like, oh, he's warning about social media. Elon Musk talks about social media. They still fucking use it. And he announced on the show, he was talking about Neuralink, which isn't necessarily a new idea, but it's the idea of trying to further integrate artificial intelligence by having it so that your thoughts can be directly translated into the machine. Uh, and his, his, his eye is the, the crisis that we face is because a, a low bandwidth issue. Um, and you know, there's, there's a quote here and, uh, I'll just read it quick and then I'll respond to it. Uh, How much smarter are you with a phone or a computer or without? 
You're vastly smarter, actually. You can answer any question pretty much instantly. You can remember flawlessly. Oh, motherfucker. Uh, your phone can remember videos and pictures perfectly. Your phone is already an extension of you. You're already a cyborg. Most people don't realize you're already a cyborg. It's just that data rate. It's slow, very slow. It's like a tiny straw of information flow between your biological self and your digital self. <sighs> digital self. We, uh, we need to make that tiny straw like a giant river, a huge high bandwidth interface. Uh, and, you know, people kind of jump to some of this other stuff. If you, like, there's another part of the quote, if you're biological selves, you can upload it into a new unit, literally. It's kind of a techno fantasy thing that, that goes around with a lot of this stuff. But in his eyes, the the problem that we face is that you communicate too slow through fingers. And... <laughs> There's things with this I, I I agree with to a certain extent. It's like, you know, people see the Anthropocene as like, the, the idea of the Anthropocene was to say, it's like, hey, we've created this world that's really fucked up. Like, we, we've fucked up. We've overstepped because of technology, because of civilization. We have given ourselves too much ability to disrupt feedback loops, to disrupt entire weather patterns and entire weather cycles by what it is that we're putting into the atmosphere, into the world. And never mind the social aspects of it. Never mind that we're wiping out all the animals. Never mind that we're causing the sixth grade extinction. Uh, you know, this just comes down to like, okay, this is what it is. And then people started to accept that, which wasn't the fucking point. And then it's like, oh, well, we're in the Anthropocene, so things are different. So nature doesn't exist now, and it's just a concept anyway, so whatever. Uh, that's crazy. That's totally crazy. And that should be seen as crazy, but it's not. So when you look at something like this, it's like, you know, this this isn't out of line with what I something I would say. Your phone is already an extension of you. You're already a cyborg. You shouldn't look at that and be like, okay, so let's just up the data rate. That's that's an issue. And this whole thing, you can remember flawlessly. You can phone can remember videos and pictures perfectly. And first off, it's idiotic your phone doesn't remember anything it's data it's it's recording and there's a a lot about a picture that is not the same as reality uh it is a snapshot of a moment um it's not a memory uh it's not a representation it's not a reproduction it's just a visual you can remember flawlessly uh god the internet is not your memory. In fact, the use of the internet is uh, something I talk about often. I talk about Nicholas Carr's book, The Shallows, which is an excellent book, a very excellent book, and it talks about how uh, the issues with neuroplasticity, and that's the fact that your brain is constantly learning and relearning. Your brain is meant to have a cycle for how you remember things. It goes short-term memory to long-term memory, and it depends on how deep the memory is or how impacted the memory is. Uh, and you can, you know, we've we've unfortunately learned a lot more about that because of things like post-traumatic stress disorder, things that can be suppressed, things that can be felt and understood and and taken in um, without a necessary cognizance, but it's always going to be a part of you. Uh, and the idea that a human brain is a machine comes from people like Musk who may or may not actually be one themselves. Like, so when you talk about somebody being a cyborg or a cyborg, you know, I say that as an insult. Uh, he sees it as a compliment. And and honestly, it is kind of, you listen to the way he talks, and the way he moves. It's not a stretch to think that he, he might as well be one already. But it's meant to be a wake-up call. And instead, people say it's like, 
oh, well, I guess I'm a, stri- a cyborg and I guess that, you know, I should be a better cyborg. It's like, no, you're still fucking human. You still have to eat. You still have to drink. Um, it just has to do with that embodiment and that, that identification with the machines themselves. And, you know, it's this, this is stuff that shouldn't have to be said. Uh, and that's what gets me. Uh, and it, it gets hard to articulate it as clearly as I'd like, because this is a core kind of thing. This stuff is, should be a wake up call. Every second of this stuff should be a wake up call. And the person who is designing the stuff, the person who's leading it, somebody like Musk shouldn't be the person who we're saying is like, well, tell us what's next. Tell us what's going to happen next. So it's like, okay, so you gave us a warning and we didn't listen, but Hey, we'll listen to your solutions. And you want to talk to us about Neuralinks. You want to talk to us about how to make ourselves more efficient at being cyborgs. It says so much about us that we wouldn't listen to the warning, but we will listen to the advice. We will listen at how to become better at being machines more than we will listen to a voice saying, maybe that shouldn't happen. Maybe that shouldn't be what we allow. And the the underlying aspect of it is is that we can fall back on this idea. And when you talk to technocrats, when you talk to the Silicon Valley fuckheads and things like that, or listen to them talk, their their entire idea is the mechanism is to, to mechanize the world, to to see everything as a machine. And they talk a lot about um, the way that ants work and hive mind work and things like that. Um, as, as autonomous decentralized networks because then they can say, it's like, well, we're going to build the internet office and it's the same thing. It's like, well, you've reduced the entirety of existence to this one thing. And that is how civilization works. We take who we are as a human. We take what we need as a human and the connections that we have as a social animal and the connections we have with the world at large. And then we reduce them down into this, these, categories into these various needs and we need food shelter water uh we need other people but you know we can we can take different kinds of relationships we can take it as we go we're capable of flexing considerably to our own loss and i mean in, in a case like this it's like again musk comes up his first son died of sids is and his four other five kids that were born were all from in, in virtue of fertilization uh you know this guy's been fighting nature his, his whole life and just, you know, the not reading any of the signs that should have weeded somebody like this out. We haven't just removed the apparatus to address somebody like this, somebody who's a, a clear sociopath. Uh, we reward them. We give them machines. We give them the technology to be able to Im- impact themselves in the world. And this is, this is technical colonialism. This is a this is colonialism period. It's always been driven by technology and a hunger for resources on hunger for more, just more and more to feed this machine to feed this apparatus as it continues to grow and outstretch itself and trying to survive. And this is, this is manifest destiny. Uh, we just hand it over. We just accept the fatalism of it. And, and for some reason that's easier. Uh, for some reason it's, it's easier for us to accept that, you know, we're going to give this thing a shot. We might fail and we might destroy the capability for life as it is on this planet to continue existing, but we're okay with that because, you know, that's easier than thinking 
hey, we could just live another way of life, despite the fact that we're increasingly becoming aware of the fact that hunter-gatherer life uh, was in, entirely more fulfilling um, in every single regard, and the ability to make tools, the ability to subsist on your own, the ability to have a community and have healing uh, and to reach out to other people and to be vulnerable with people. We, we're learning more and more. We're accepting more and more that these things are real and these things are palatable and tangible. And yet we still just take it. We just take the situation as it is. We just take this technology as it is coming and as it is developed and we act like there's nothing we could fucking do about it. And that's not the fucking case. There is. He's a person. And the reason that the stock market was so shaken by him smoking a joint had to do with the fallibility of this individual who's driving the heart of Tesla, who's driving the heart of SpaceX and all these other bullshit companies that he has. And that shows the weakness of it. So as much as we want to say, it's like, okay, you're going to do your thing. You're going to launch fucking rockets into space. You're going to bore tunnels under cities and, you know, build these massive automated factories even even when they're underperforming and not working correctly. Uh, and also, hey, you want to do this Neuralink thing? Go ahead. Nobody's going to stop you. Uh, it's because for some reason we believe these people. We believe because they have gotten away with it that they will continue to get away with it. And so I'm, I kind of come back to the same thing. And it's it's a pretty common thread that for some reason anarcho-primitivism and artificial intelligence, uh, transhumanism are seen as, as opposing sides, which we genuinely are. But I think there's people who kind of see it as like, well, there's two sides of this debate, um, which again is, is something that's just kind of crazy. It's like, no, you mean the one about whether or not humans will survive civilization? Yeah. I, I guess there are another side and, uh, fuck us for rooting for the potential for us to outlive ourselves or outlive the, uh, the mess we've made. But, um, you know, the kind of, kind of question that comes up there is, it, is this something that we're concerned about or something that is anarcho-privis that we're concerned about or something I'm concerned about? Um, generally speaking, no. Um, I am concerned about the impacts it has in our own lives and you're seeing it and we're seeing it in, in ways that are much more damning uh, and much faster than I think we're probably predicted. And as far as the social media stuff goes, as far as the cell phone goes, uh, there is no historical precedent for this rate of technological growth. Uh, the cell phone is, I think it's like half the adult population of the entire world has a cell phone and has usually internet access or 4g access on at some point. Uh, and uh, 2 billion people have Facebook accounts. We can, what are considered active Facebook accounts. There is no, in the entire history of, of humans and going back before that, there's no single adaptation that was that universal and that fast or as that quickly as the cell phone has been for, for the world. I don't undercut that. I don't, want to undermine that idea and I don't want to stop ringing alarm bells for that because that's fucking scary and it should be really fucking scary Uh, and we're we're seeing the consequences of it and there's going to be a lot more on this I I think in black and green review number six Uh, but talking about the the consequences where you've got societies or you've got places in the world where there was never an electrical grid uh, going out to these small towns and there was no newspaper there was nothing like that and all of a sudden 
everybody's got 4G and, uh, you know, if, if people like Musk have their way, they'll soon have 5G uh, and they they get all their news and they get all information from Facebook and the consequences that have been deadly. Uh, people being killed and just, just destroyed and devastated by bullshit. Uh, total just fabrications or just kind of crazy wingnut ideas that get on the internet and then go unchecked. Uh, it's a dangerous world and I don't mean to diminish it by saying like in a grand scheme is artificial intelligence the thing that freaks me out the most uh, in my day-to-day life. Yeah, uh, that that is horrifying. That is terrifying and we see it everywhere. But the whole thing is, is that we believe Musk is going to be right. We believe that you could occupy Mars like a fucking asshole uh, or colonize Mars and mine Mars and mine the moon or whatever it is they think they're going to do because for some reason the fact that they have gotten away with it makes us think that they will get away with it. And it's this whole might makes right kind of colonial shit. But there's no reality to it. And if you look at the wor- the history of the world through their eyes, it is it is this very Steven Pinker kind of bullshit Hobbesian Machiavellian narrative uh, that civilization has improved life. And in fact, in the discussion uh, between Joe Rogan and Elon Musk, they they start going into this all this shit about chimp war. And I think I actually got into this on the last episode of the podcast, so I'm not going to totally rehash it. But um, a lot of the stuff that comes out about chimp warfare doesn't take into account the fact that uh, the chimps that um, Jane Goodall was studying in Gombe were refugees from civil wars in Africa. Uh, and they had seen their family members torn apart by civil war and by, by humans and by poachers. Uh, and they had experienced that themselves. And then this, in the middle of this whole situation, uh, Jane Goodall sets up this camp, starts giving out, Banana starts giving out different resources and starts creating all these positions and all these possessions that can make power possible. And then was like, Oh, look at this. They've got warfare too. They fight over things too. It's like, well, yeah, if you create that situation and if you really traumatize living beings and you throw them into a zoo and you give them things that they can hold over others, they can create some pretty fucked up power dynamics that look like ours. And you know why they look like ours? Cause they're also social animals. Um, and we, we do the exact same things. We just, we normalize our experience because we flatten it, but because we just ignore these consequences so much that we're willing to say, it's like, well, that couldn't have an impact on chimps. It couldn't have an impact on elephants. That couldn't have an impact on grizzly bears or anything else that is going to be changed and has been changed because of our war on the earth and because of our war on, on the wild and just centuries now, thousands of years, millennia of just taking this technology that we've, we've, that we've been building and using it against the world so that we can no longer see ourselves within it. And so we can think that we are superior or somehow better off because of it. And the reality is we're fucking miserable the most miserable people to potentially have existed within civilization, save, you know, a hundred years ago when the average life expectancy was 30 years because people in Pittsburgh were dying of rickets because smokestacks had flooded out the light. Um, you know, if we, when you, when you take the norms and the narratives that have been pushed and created, it has to do with that. It has to do, it's like, well, we've made it, 
we've made life better or we've made life life last longer. It's like, yeah, compared to the industrial hellhole that we created. Um, and also because we've been able to really kind of fracture the world into this way where we don't have to see the consequences of our living. And we can also say, it's like, Hey, because your grandpa lived on life support until he was 80 or 90, uh, that somehow makes up for the fact that there's uh, parts of the world that where the average life expectancy is 30 years because of civil war and because of resource extraction uh, and because of just the insane consequences of the technological structure that we have and the globalized political structure and economic structure that we, we are all the unwitting benefactors of. Uh, so, I take issue with that as it might be a total shocker. It might be totally surprising to hear, I'm sure, but uh, we we can't take this whole perspective that technology is neutral. We don't get to do that. We don't get to live in this area where we are removed from the immediate consequences for most of the production and most of the extraction that that it takes to make a cell phone, that it takes to make a, a you know, a, fucking solar panel or something like that and be like, well, you know, we could have a soul power reality and we could live on medication. We can have this long life and we could go online and we can vent about all the negative things in our life and take antidepressants for it. And then, you know, just create this little blind reality where we can foster ourselves just like Musk, uh, as a white kid in fucking South Africa and under apartheid, uh, and then ignore those consequences and ignore the reality that the rest of the world is faced with. And again, I've been focusing on humans and it goes way beyond humans. Uh, and it, it, it comes back down to ecology. It comes back down to the, the ability of life to, per, to continue on in this world in general. But the misery of it and just the fact that people aren't happy uh, and the fact that, you know, there's nothing you can see in a billionaire like Musk or that I can see that makes me think like, you know, this guy's gleamed something. This guy's got some kind of truth. It's like, he's, he feels like he's conquered this planet. He's in a hurry to get off. He wants to occupy another planet. Like, what is that? What is that life? And why does this motherfucker get to do it? Just ignore the consequences of everything everything and we listen but this is the thing is that it comes down to these narratives it comes down to the stories we tell ourselves it comes down to the fact that you get these two boneheads here talking about chimpanzee war as though we've improved ourselves in some way that makes us better makes us superior enough that it's our call to take this fucking risk to decide whether or not we're going to have these technologies that may fail and may wipe out life on this planet but might succeed in creating something that we haven't done before. And it, it's just, it's, it's just novelty. There's, there's nothing to it. There's nothing about the idea of living in a, a you know, a colony on Mars or a colony in space where you're living a hundred percent dependent upon machines, which is where Musk believes we are at now or we're getting to, and he's okay with, and we're seemingly complicit in that as well. There's just no question about what kind of life that is. And it all comes down to we're doing it because we can. We're doing it because it's what we're told we're supposed to do and we were meant to do as a species. Don't think about the consequences. Just roll with it. Progress used to be an ideal. 
progress used to be something people talked about. It used to be a reason people worked. It used to be a people reason people subjugated other people to work and had slavery and colonized frontiers. It's a reason why, you know, 20 year olds would go out into uh, the Pacific Northwest and fight off indigenous societies to log trees wearing wool in the middle of the summer. And most, most of them died very horrible deaths. This thing that drove us was an ideal. And we've gotten to the point now where we're so busy staring at our phones and staring at our computers that we don't even have to think about the future anymore. We just accept what it is and we stop thinking about the potential consequences of it and we stop even giving ourselves the space to accept that there are consequences to it and that this is far from even-handed on a global scale on the human level alone and we just accept it. And the idea is is that we think because we have gotten here that this is how it is going to be, that this is how it was meant to be. And there is nothing, nothing in our history as a species, nothing in the history of this planet and how it operates that shows that anything is permanent. And the fact of the matter is is that the ingenuity of stone tools was is they are adaptive and they are resilient. You can pick up most specific kind of stones or bones or or plants and you can make something from it that you can use and it has a purpose and that's it it's done once it's done its thing there you go you don't need it we we didn't need to entertain ourselves because we had people sitting around a fire talking and telling stories and laughing and singing and dancing together and healing and bonding and we replaced that with television and youtube and cat videos and shit we wipe out the wild cats and then we can watch and play with shit on on the internet there's just so much to it that we want to believe that we have created a superior tool and that means our quality of life has increased and anybody within those societies the way that they function it's not that they're perfect it's not that they need to be it's just that you have individuals who grow up capable they're not stuck in the neoteny trap they're not runted by adolescence to be something that they weren't meant to be they're given room the kids are given room to play with each other to experiment with each other to just do their own thing and to experience the world on its own terms so they can become full people and then full adults and they can come together they can split apart it's this fission fusion thing. It's how coyotes work. It's how wolves work. It's how humans work. It's how a lot of social animals work. We can create societies that don't need to be perfect. They just function and they are fulfilling. And it is these societies that have fought and died to protect everything that is they know about the world. And you look at our society and we fucking kill ourselves. We have to medicate ourselves just to deal with the misery that we have steeped ourselves in. And we somehow believe that's okay. We somehow just accept it. And we start looking up to people like Musk. It's like, well, you figured it out, so I guess we're going to see where it goes. But this is is trying to create a permanent situation and an impermanent planet. And things change. Life changes. A hunter-gatherer can forage upwards of 200 plant species, not even counting animals and, you know, a lot of different animals. We, we get our grocery store. It's got like based off of five to 10 cash crops. Uh, and even, even those are becoming more toxic because of, because of increasing temperatures. But 
what it takes to fuel this civilization is a question that we need to be asking ourselves and looking at more seriously. And it's not really a mystery. It's not like, oh, we're going to be the first person to do it or first people to do it because it is a constant thing. This is why we have warfare. This is why we have colonization. You know, the United Kingdom has a massive impact on the entire world and it's this tiny little island. And it's because it outgrew itself very quickly and it needed to do something radical in order to be able to continue sustaining itself and just to drain the entire world. That's the history of colonialism. And it's a one-way street. And there's an endpoint. And that's why somebody like Musk is sitting here talking about Mars. Like, okay, we're going to figure it out. If my solar panel plant, my self-automated plant doesn't sit here and create enough cars and everything to keep going around, then, hey, we got another planet we can mine for resources. And that's, it's not going to happen. That's that's the point at which I, I look at artificial intelligence and I look at people like this and I can laugh because, you know, they die too. This is inevitable. It's not soon enough. Uh, but they're going to die and everything that they're trying to do and build is going to rot. Uh, it's just the nature of the world. And they've created this situation. And they've gotten a lot farther than they ever should have. And the consequences of it are ones that we're all stuck with and we're going to be living with probably longer than they are. But the reality of it is, is that all this stuff runs off of resources. All this stuff runs off of something that is limited. And because we're not involved in, in the production, because we don't understand what it is, because, and I, I believe to a certain degree, intentionally so, because there's not a single person on this planet that could gather all the materials from their core state and build that iPhone that Kevin Kelly thinks is the sign of, or the eye of God that we just have so much disconnect from everything and so much pride built in these technologies and in our relationship with these technologies that nobody has a real grasp on what it is that it takes to put them where they are and to get them where they're going and we could take it where somebody like Musk wants to go. And he's just a spoiled fucking rich kid. He's just a fucking white asshole from South Africa and everything that he wants to do, he can do. And the person who actually knows what it takes to live, the hunter-gatherers, the subsistence hunters, the subsistence farmers, the subsistence horticulturalists, the people who actually know how to make their own living, know how to survive in this world, know how to be resilient and to take core things from start to finish and live without consequence on a global scale like this are the ones who fucking suffer and they always have. And that's who was being targeted whenever these civilizations were pushing into Africa or pushing into the Southern Hemisphere, pushing into the Americas to get fucking resources, to get everything it takes to power a civilization. We're talking about guano. We're talking about batshit. We're talking about things used for fertilizer, for nitrogen fixing. You know, we all the things that we forget about because we've offset to the machine and we've offset to oil. Um, we don't have to think about those things. So then all of a sudden we can sit here on our computer and be like, I watched a YouTube thing and we're never going to run out of oil. We're never going to run out of resources. The fuck we aren't. We are. We're in the middle of this. We are in, we're beyond the peak. Uh, and that's why you have natural gas extraction. That's why you have fracking. And that bubble is already bursting itself. And, but I have seen wells exploding in the backyards of yuppies, white, rich suburbanites in Pennsylvania. If that's where we were at fucking eight, nine, ten years ago. We're we're getting to that end, or if we haven't gotten there already. And 
people want to have this idea. It's like, okay, peak oil and stuff like that. It, it, it was a big thing. It's kind of faded out or whatever. You got to look at things in terms of systems and you have to understand colonialism and you have to ex- understand expansionism and all these things in, in ecological sense. Uh, what does it take to continue fueling this empire? And people at the frontier have always known like this, this is what it's about. This is what it takes. We need more agricultural land. We need more oil. We need more resources. We need rubber. Um, and predominantly a lot of that stuff was about cash crops and cotton and fur, uh, to, to meet more basic necessities than a cell phone. Uh, but we kind of just get this idea that those things are done, that they're over with. Like, Oh, we figured that out. And it's because we don't pay attention. But that is our reality. That is the world that we live in. That is the consequences of our way of living and our way of existing within civilization. And it's by necessity that we're unable to see all the pieces that come into it. So when we want to watch something on YouTube or we want to watch, read a book or something like that or read a newspaper and people are sitting there talking about like, oh, you know, natural gas is going to figure all this shit out or, um, you know, solar energy, wind energy are going to, are going to kind of steady the tide or pan us over, hold us over. They don't got to figure it out. They don't, they're not going to. And if you look at the, the way that the person that all these people look up to is Ray Kurzweil and he talks about the singularity and he's always being given credit for his predictions. His prediction for how to deal with peak oil was that we're going to create a machine that is smart enough to figure that problem out for us. This guy who Google picked up that everybody wants to say is a fucking genius. And his answer was, we'll make a machine that'll figure it out. Where's that fucking machine? It looks like people think it's Elon Musk. And I think he might be a machine. And people thought he was this green miracle and the savior because he's going to have all these fucking uh, solar panels and solar roofs and things like that. But where is it? It's not happening. It's not going to happen. People are still talking about fucking coal. It's 2018. This shit was dead and dying. And here it is again. It's just people are just kind of coming back to it and pretending like, oh, it can go on forever. We're in the middle of an orgy. This feast is going to last forever. And it's not. It is not. It is objectively speaking not going to continue lasting. It is the nature of existence that... If you use too much of something, you will run out of it. And in our situation, we're never going to get to zero in oil. It's never going to happen. The whole peak thing is it comes down to the tipping point. Uh, Joseph Tainer, who wrote uh, The Collapse Complex Societies, uh, talked about tipping points and the and, uh, point of uh, diminishing returns. So at a certain point, it takes too much to get it out. And it is, it's, it's gone. It doesn't need to be zero. There could be 50 years worth of oil sitting in somewhere under the Arctic and it's useless to us because we can't, we live in such shit conditions that we can't convince enough people to go out there and try and man rigs, um, to, to keep them going. Like it's, it's never going to be a thing where we get to zero and, and you know, every civilization prior to this, and there have been many have hit that point. And either they died or they were absorbed by somebody else who was also a globalizing, colonizing force. And they were able to, you know, expand 
and carry on because they found some new resources. They found some new thing, but there's, there's nothing new left. And if there is, it's incremental. Like the way that we're looking at things and you look at the, the impact of a, a technology like a cell phone, uh, it's a huge technology and it is a huge innovation in a lot of ways, but it's not a power generating thing. It's a power sucking thing. So we haven't figured out the power issue. We haven't figured out the energy or resource issue and any of this stuff. In fact, if we, we use a lot more of it, the amount of information that goes or the amount of resources that go into the cloud are exponential. And I think it's like a three minute YouTube video is the equivalent of like five AA batteries in terms of energy use. And there are millions of those things on YouTube at any given time. And that's not including things even like this podcast and the amount of information it takes to create, transcend, transmit, and and for you to listen to it. Uh, we just kind of see energy the way we see money and the way we see finances and economics. And that is that we can offset it because of credit, because of all these things. We don't have to deal with the immediate consequences of it and we can go in debt. And debt has no ecological uh, context. It has no ecological analogy. Um, it's it's a economic fabrication that you can go negative on something. Um, any other realm of life, once you're out, you're out. And it is the ghost economy of credit that has made it possible for us to not be hit immediately, like every civilization before us, um, to see when that peak actually hit. We could go another five years and pretend like, okay, it doesn't matter because it's just trade deficits and swaps. Or it's because it's you know mortgages and and mortgage crises and bundled uh, debt loads. It makes it possible that we are just floating right now, and we have been probably for some time, without actually having to see the real world math or to see the real world econ- consequences of our economics and our ecological just depravity. And it, to think that Elon Musk is going to figure something else out, that our, our millions of years evolving and evolved as, as we are as homo sapiens, to see all these generations and all these millions of years of lives that had meaning and lives that had purpose and lives that didn't have these kinds of consequences and think that, well, now we've cracked it. Now we figured it out. It's absurd. It's absurd and it's hurtful and it's tragic and it's just, it is an assault on who we are, an assault on what it is we need and what it means to be a social animal. We haven't conquered anything about ourselves. We've just deluded ourselves into thinking that this is okay and that maybe this is better. We stopped having to talk about progress because we just started expecting it as updates on our fucking apps and phones and technologies and all this shit, but it has real world consequences. So before you want to think that because we're no longer using a stone tool, because we're no longer having to go out and forage and actually make something of our lives and subsist on our own and be free of debt, free of wealth, free of all this shit, not having to work, not having to work for somebody else, not having to deal with a fucking priest or a politician or anything like that, or even a chief that we think that we've made something of ourselves because we have debt and misery and a condo or an apartment or a house filled to the brim with shit overflowing in landfills 
where underneath is burning toxic waste before we think that we deserve this that we have taken part in a cultural trend that makes it possible for us to have all these things and for us to be the beneficiaries of this supposed progress we have to remember that these people who lived this the other way the people who made stone tools the people who had the knowledge of how to make tools and use them and not become possessed by them the people who had tools instead of the people who are tools they are dealing with the consequences of our world and they were always the first ones to have to do so and because you don't think about what it takes to have the technologies around you doesn't mean that they don't have to face those fucking questions too and i wish i wish there was a world in which somebody like elon musk would have to stand on the front line and i wish he would have to face the children that are working in shanty towns digging up earth minerals and he could tell him about his fucking great ideas and smoke a joint and talk about Neuralinks and talk about how bad chimpanzees had it compared to us. But it, it's not going to happen. There is not that confrontation. We have so much disconnect and so much distance. It's even between ourselves and the people who are on the front line and the people who embody these practices as soldiers, as missionaries, as agents of expansionism. And they don't have to think about it. And so what I, what I, what I'm getting to is the thing that that is the worst aspect of this and that is when you look at somebody like Musk who's from South Africa who's un, unquestionably the creation of a very clear historical trend and historical circumstance that was based on ruthlessness colonization and absolute sheer force of a minority population impacting itself upon a much larger population much established population is that the the Bushmen still live in, in South Africa and, and going into these areas and mainly going up into Namibia and Botswana. And there are still people there who, despite everything and despite, you know, the attempts for the last 2,000 years of outsiders and horticulturalists and, and pastoralists to step into these areas and push them out of the lands where they had been for you know, 80,000 years up to 200,000 years, potentially longer. Uh, they survived all this stuff. They survived so many colonizers and so many programs and so many things like that. And in the last 70 to 80 years, it's gotten so much fucking worse because of oil and because of all these technologies and because of all the tools that are made possible, the roads that were created and the things that rubber and oil were made possible and the combustion engine made possible and the guns in particular made possible have just continued to amplify that assault. And if a hunter gatherer who is living out as they always have and has the knowledge that has been passed down for upwards of 2 million years in terms of how to make a stone tool and how the ability to look at a piece of bone, look at a piece of stone and say, I'm going to make something here that I can replicate or I can toss. It doesn't matter. It doesn't take that much time, but it has a distinctive purpose and it doesn't detract from who I am or what I feel in life. It's not a purchase. It's not an obsession. It's not something that's going to bog me down or it's not something that's got to be sent to a landfill. It just take a rock and you break it into something smaller, 
that has a different kind of use. And they can't do it. They can't do it, not because they don't have the knowledge and not because they don't have the ability, but because they don't have money. And wealthy fucking first world assholes can go out and go on a luxury cruise. They can go out and they can go to game reserves that have the Bushman's image all over it and they can take safaris and they can take photos or they can kill elephants and they can kill giraffes and they can take their little fucking prizes home. But a subsistence hunter cannot do it. And, a, and the Kung and the Bushman are literally torn apart, thrown into these settlement programs and have their kids sent off to schools and their kids have to have permission to even visit their parents in their own camps, in their own bands and the settlements that the government has created and missions have supported and created but they can't subsistence on because they're considered poachers. They have all of the knowledge and none of the existential crisis that we face, but because of our addictions, because of our drive, and because of this need to continually distract ourselves and try and make a more efficient version of capitalism and modern civilization, they are stuck with those consequences and they have that knowledge and they have that ability, but they cannot use it. But Elon Musk can get a fucking idea and think it's real funny to have a company called The Boring Fucking Company. And he can sell a bunch of hats. He can sell a bunch of fucking flamethrowers. And if he wants to dig under a fucking city with a massive population of millions of people, that's okay. He wants to launch a fucking rocket. He can do it because of that money, because of that entitlement. We don't just let these people do it. We encourage them, we support them, and we're willing to watch an interview on YouTube and laugh along and yuck it up while two fucking assholes sit here and just embody everything about civilization and colonization for the past 10,000 years in this fucking bullshit thing. And we gotta, it takes up energy just to even talk about it, just to think about it, just to see it. And we don't have to deal with those fucking consequences immediately so we can go on pretending like they don't matter and they fucking matter. And this is where it ends. You can do something about this. These people are living. That company is worth shit if he's fucking high. That's what we've learned from this. People get questionable about the whims that he has. So we've created a situation where we're dealing with colonization, no longer of countries, no longer of governments, but of corporate heads of CEOs. And it comes down to those individuals and they are fucking real and living and they have consequences for their actions and they have consequences for what they do. So instead of, you know, just saying we're going to ignore the warnings and we're going to listen to the advice and we're going to sit here and talk about them and make it all okay and laugh along with it. He's, I don't know. We want to pretend like they're fucking human. How about we hold them fucking accountable for what it is they're doing and we hold ourselves accountable for taking part in the system and for having any kind of role in it. And the very least we can do is be honest about what it takes to get to this point and what it takes to sustain any of this and all of this and start looking at the bigger picture and understanding the ecological cycles that we have not conquered, that we have not moved beyond. We are still a part of this world. Ecological systems work by functioning, by having all these moving parts that were, that feed off each other and if we disrupt those systems, then we are killing ourselves. We are killing this planet. And that is exactly what's happening. It's not a fucking controversy. It's not some mystical idea. It shouldn't be a big question, yet it is. 
but we're willing to accept the fatalism of saying that's just how it is and that's what's going to be. And you can have some fucker like Musk sitting there talking about how AI is a horrible thing, but whatever, if you can't beat it, join it. We can beat it. We can do something about that. And there's just no, there shouldn't be a comfort. There shouldn't be the ability to be comfortable in just saying, well, it doesn't matter when the impacts and the consequences of our actions are directly threatening the rest of the world. So before we get too caught up in taking pride in what we consider to be cultural achievements and technological achievements, just think real fucking hard about what it takes to get that in your hand and what minuscule role in any of it we can actually personally claim and personally say we had any embodiment with or have gotten any particular benefit from. And that's that's the kind of question we should be asking. And that's the kind of thing we should be looking at. And that's the kind of impulse we should be acting on instead of just sitting here talking about like, well, what, what does it mean for us? And when do I get my solar panels? Or what do I, what do I think of this Tesla? It's a much bigger question than that. It's a much bigger world than that. And until we start looking for actual meaning in our lives, and until we start looking for anything of consequence or anything of, of value or realness within our own lives, we're just going to keep missing it. And that is, or should be a fucking tragedy, but it is one we can do something about and it does have an end point and there are ways to help push it along. So I can uh, say you're warned that it, it can be hard to articulate kind of core things like this. And uh, a topic like this naturally hits on a lot of very crucial things. And, and part of the anarcho primitive critique is, isn't just understanding what civilization has done, uh, but how it got there and what, what it took to get where it's at. So by understanding the domestication process, you have to understand what life without domestication looks like. Uh, and it turns out that that life was pretty fucking awesome. Um, again, it doesn't need to be perfect, but it, you know, it works, it functions. And the most egalitarian free societies that ever exist are ones where people could look at a stone and make a tool from it and then not be possessed by it and not be, obsessed by it but we're capable of using it um so i want to end on a little bit of a better note um if if that's possible uh and i got this book uh, the other day it's a, a kid's book pretty much it's kind of a kind of a picture book uh, it's called walking is a way of knowing in a kadar kadar forest uh madru ramesh manish chandi and matthew frame uh but it's fucking awesome um at some point i might actually talk a little bit more about some kids books i really like and and about uh parenting in general but uh i just haven't really gotten there with the podcast uh but this book is phenomenal uh and i was really excited about it but uh to to give an idea of what the world not reduced to interactions with machines and not reduced to resources can kind of look like uh, and this is about the Kadar, who are who are hunter gatherers in, uh, I believe, southern India, uh, and these authors experiencing with them and having stories about how they learn the forest and learn the world through nomadism, through walking through it constantly and having all these different interactions with it, and and the amount of things that we could be open to if we 
we're a little more understanding of our world as a living organism and something that has merit in and of itself. Uh, so in this case, uh, the the person who's taking the from the Kadars who's taking the author around in the forest sees that he's taking a bunch of notes about different plants and about the distinct smells and things like that of different plants and the signs from from animals, uh, and he gets impatient. So this quote is from uh, Mariapan, who is uh, a guide for him. The forest is like a storehouse of smells. How can you learn about the scent of a civet, leopard, tiger, or guar from talk? These are things that you know only directly. People like you from other places use books to understand the forest, so you know things from the pictures and the words and recognize them by only by sight. Most of us can't read a word, but we use all of our senses, our entire body, to hear the stories of the forest. We can smell the smoke of a forest fire and feel gusts of its fierce heat much before we see it. In fact, if we can see it, it probably means that we are much too close to it. But don't worry, you're beginning to acquire the forest ways. You shuffle just like a bear when you're tired. And to me, that's kind of everything, you know? Uh, and I, in terms of rewilding, in terms of understanding the world, it just just the the interactions we have with it aren't, you can't replicate it with a picture. Your phone isn't going to remember what it meant to be joyful or to be happy or to be satisfied or content. And you can't, you can't sum up with an algorithm what it feels like to be loved and cared by for by somebody or to, you know, to see your children or drink water that's from a spring that isn't contaminated. These are things that are not quantifiable. And most of our lives are like that. We've just gotten so used to taking substitutions for actual life that we no longer see it right before our eyes. And we don't grant the complexity and intensity and and changing nature of the world any credence to to exist. And that's the tragedy. I mean, that's insane. And it makes it possible for us to sit here and wonder what Elon Musk is going to do next instead of wonder what's going to happen to us whenever his world falls apart and inevitably is and it is falling apart currently. We need to figure shit out. And it's all right there. That world of the hunter gatherers, the world of the Kadar, still exists. It's just under assault. And it's time for us to start fighting back. Well, that does it for this uh, kind of impromptu episode. Uh, thanks for listening if you made it this far. And uh, if you are Elon Musk, uh, do the world a favor. And uh, try to jump on the next rocket you showed you uh, shoot off there. Uh, if you're interested in more information about the podcast, blackandgreenreview.org. Uh, my books are also for sale there, and the journal I edit, black, or I'm an editor of Black and Green Review, is also for sale there. Uh, past episodes are on the BNG Podcast tab. Uh, if you can share, talk about the episode, talk about any of the other stuff, listen to any of the other episodes on there. Uh, that's all very helpful. There's a Patreon and PayPal link if you are able to support it. None of the stuff is expensive, so that is greatly appreciated. Uh, and if I didn't say at the beginning, Black and Green Podcast is also on the Channel Zero Anarchist Podcast Network. Um, and uh, you can check out that site uh, for more podcasts like it. So uh, just going to go ahead and end there. You can send emails to blackandgreenpress at gmail.com. Again, that's blackandgreenpress at gmail.com. 
and uh, we'll catch you next time. Thanks. It's going down, and you're invited for what they selling. We ain't buying. There is no running. There is no hiding. There's only fighting or dying. It's going down, and you're invited for what they selling. We ain't buying. There is no running. There is no hiding. There's only fighting or dying. It's Going Down is a digital community center from anarchist, anti-fascist, autonomous, anti-capitalist, and anti-colonial movements. Our mission is to provide an autonomous and resilient platform to publicize and promote revolutionary theory and action. Go to itsgoingdown.org for daily updates. Check out our online store for ways to donate and rate and follow us on iTunes if you like this podcast.